Hi, this is Tom Compton of We Hold These Truths. You're listening to the Unheralded News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths at whtt.org on the web. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's podcast for Pharisee Watch and Unheralded News, we're going to be visiting a subject that, of course, is dear to us here at We Hold These Truths. It's the subject of Christian Zionism. And we are so glad to find that there are people out in the United States and around the world that are waking up to Christian Zionism. And for today's discussion, we're drawing on the work of two Fuller Seminary professors, David Gushy and Glenn H. Stassen. Now, this is in a piece from a website, Just Peacemaking Initiative, part of, evidently, of the Fuller Seminary, which I believe is in California, Southern California. And it's entitled, An Open Letter to America's Christian Zionist. Now, I'm going to have Leslie read just a portion that we've extracted. It's a rather long letter. And then after she reads, we're going to have Chuck read some of the responses. As we have found in our works, we get responses. And sometimes you can go into all kinds of debates because there are people out there looking to argue with you and point how wrong you are and how right they are. So, Leslie, why don't you read the extracted portion of the letter that's kind of pertinent. For example, we suggest that Christian Zionists who move from a generalized love of Israel to a specific claim that the contemporary state of Israel has divine title to the entire Holy Land, need to take more seriously the complexity of what the Bible actually says about God's promises to Abraham. Genesis 15:18 reads, quote, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, unquote. The next verse goes on to name the various peoples to whom the land belonged at the time. The territory, denoted by the space between these two rivers, includes modern-day Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, half of Iraq, half of Egypt, parts of Turkey, and Saudi Arabia. The modern state of Israel as well as the occupied Palestinian territories. A literal reading of the text that assumes that the descendants of Abram are only the Jewish people faces a problem here. Either God is not very good at keeping his promises, or God's plan is for contemporary Israel ultimately to conquer all of these other countries and occupy their land. That would result in an Israel ruled by its 90% majority Arabs or an Israel attempting to subjugate that 90% by force. But the promise looks very different 
if we take seriously all of the offspring of Abraham. Genesis 15, 4-5 has God taking Abram outside and telling him that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the heavens. Genesis 17, 4 probably the pivotal text has God saying to Abraham, quote, This is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations, unquote. Many nations, a multitude of nations, many offspring, many kings. Read Genesis 17 again and see the plural nouns there. The issue I think that we need to talk about is how, you, how we deal with our own friends and family who present these arguments that uh, Gushy and Stassen are attempting to deal with here. And they've written a rather brilliant, detailed study of scriptures to refute the argument that the state of Israel no, not only does not own all of the land from the Nile River to the Euphrates, which is the whole Middle East, you can see why, if you were an Israeli politician, that you would want a biblical definition of the land that, that was the state of Israel, rather than relying upon the definition that was given to it by the United Nations when they divided Palestine and gave the land, part of it, to the state of Israel, and the rest supposedly to the Palestinians. The Israeli politicians can see that if they can continue the argument to be carried on over biblical grounds, they can continue to argue that they own Egypt and Iraq and Saudi Arabia with all its oil and the emirates and, and so on and so forth, which are the boundaries of these rivers. And uh, so you have a very disingenuous argument that's carried on all the time by the Israelis who never want to talk about any boundaries. And uh, someone has said that Israel is the only nation on the face of the earth that has not created a set of boundaries for itself in its own law. In other words, the United States actually has a definition of where our states are and where our boundaries are. The Pacific Ocean from thus to so, uh, certain latitudes and longitudes along the Mexican border and so on. We have a definition of where everything is that is set in law, just like your house lot or building lot that you might buy, or your trailer lot, or whatever it is, has a legal boundaries that have been established in law that define where it is. But Israel doesn't have any such boundaries because they really covet the entire Middle East, and if they can keep people arguing scripturally about where these boundaries should be, and if they'll forget all about the way boundaries are really established by uh, humans in even a in ancient times, not to say not, uh, not only in modern times, but also in ancient times, then it makes good, clean fun for them to argue about why they shouldn't own Iraq. And I'm uh, very critical of intelligent theological people like D David Gushy and Glenn Stassen, who've written, gone to this great trouble to write this wonderful study on, on how Scripture defines what Israel should be, and in it, they, the way they argue against Israel's ownership is they simply say the land was promised by God not only to Israelites but also to all kinds of other people, 
and uh, many people were the heirs of Abraham, and then along came the New Testament, and in the New Testament we all claim to be sons of Abraham by faith in the book of Galatians and, Col- and uh, Corinthians and, and Ephesians and so on. So we, we have an endless argument here, and it's, it starts out with well-meaning people trying to establish current land ownership by uh, reading the Bible. And it is very questionable whether or not this is really how the state of Israel should be defined in the first place or not. We've gone to a good bit of trouble to point out that the biblical efforts to hold that that Israel uh, is entitled to anything are totally erroneous and are the product of tampering with the Bible. And uh, so they have to be taken as trash. And you cannot make any uh, sense out of them at all. Gushy and Stassen have taken a different course here. And they've, they've gone through all of the verses and pointed out all of the other people that have to share some of this land. So with that, I'll stop. Well, you have a very good point, Chuck, is that this leads to uh, endless arguments here as evidenced by a letter they got from Ken here replying to this. Ken says, the Jews have a tiny strip of land. The Arabs and the Muslims have thousands of acres. Why do you begrudge the Jews? Everyone knows that many of the Arabs who lived in this little strip in 1948 left because they were commanded to buy the Arab League. Well, guys, you know, we'll interrupt right there. That's <laughs> He's really off off the mark. It's almost like uh, the old argument, Zionist argument, uh, people for the land and the land without people. So you get in a big argument uh, here where you're right. You've the, the issue is more is Jesus Christ that fulfillment uh, rather than this land? Are we in a spiritual kingdom now? And so these all these other issues and what these gentlemen have argued, you're right, is just starting point for more arguments among among. Christians, uh, Christian Zionists in particular. How do you see the rest of their arguments, Chuck? Are they are they pretty much in the same vein, or are they well, well, they are they really the doing place. us a favor? Uh, yes, are Stassen and Slossy uh, doing us a favor or not? And some of these arguments are uh, like this one. I mean, this man has applied his own logic. He just simply says, "Well, the Arabs have lots of land." The Palestinians yeah. don't. And then he's arguing that the Palestinians gave up their land by running away. And, of course, if, you, if someone runs away and you take it over and you keep it for 50 years, probably it is yours. You can't walk away from land and not tear for it, not pay the taxes. But, again, this is the civil law of modern men that we're dealing with and has nothing to do with the scriptures. So yeah. Ken didn't make a scriptural argument. He just made a argument that was in his own thoughts logical but he applied his own set of facts he he said that the arabs mm-hmm. ran away and left their land and in fact they were actually driven out and killed if they tried to stay so one of the writers and there were 24 of these arguments that came into this seminary and of course this is a website that is a seminary website that's commonly probably read by people who are quite consider themselves quite religious and uh, are interested in reading seminary literature. 
And it's, it's amazing that their answers are so illogical. Uh, for instance, Kelly writes, their term occupied is also incorrect and misleading. The Jewish people came to their God-given homeland after the Holocaust. History recalled the great Mufti of Palestine, El Husseini, was a friend of Hitler and supported the evil. Well, again, they've dreamed up totally new facts. They're saying that the Palestinian people were responsible for the Holocaust of the Jewish people, and therefore the Jewish people ought to get the Palestinian people's land, when, of course, there was no record of any kind of the Palestinians ever participating in World War II uh, on either side or being involved in any way. She goes on to say, they settled and tried to make their own new beginning. She's talking about the, uh, the Jews in Israel. And were subsequently murdered and attacked by every, at every opportunity. Well, these are all secular arguments that have nothing to do with how the land was parceled out. And these are presumably Christian people writing to these seminarians. And it says here that the Palestinians lost their privilege of being God's, being in God's land of promise when they took such action and let them move into the land where they fled, lived in the countries that shared the same faith values as they do, Sharia law, barbarism, fascism, and the militant state. So, so writes one lady arguing with Stassen. And, and, and of course, if we went back to the way to actually arguing the facts of, of the way land ownership and boundaries are determined, we would say that the Palestinian people had a long history of living there, and whoever dominates the country politically, the individuals should not in, uh, in, in modern international law just be deprived of their property. And so these are not biblical or scriptural arguments. These are arguments that we deal with every day in our own lives. Uh, if, if someone, if a, if a band of thugs occupied our neighborhood and somehow drove us off our property and we had to be gone for uh, years before we could come back, we would probably have a pretty good argument that under international law, and certainly under uh, law of our state, that we have a right to reclaim our property by, of course, paying the back taxes, at least for a certain period of time. Th these arguments went on through 24 of these, each one more ridiculous than the other, really. Elliot writes that uh, he answers other people's arguments. He said, the argument is made that the Ashkenaz, now that's, of course, the uh, European Jewish people who really settled Palestine, was a descendant of Jophaphat, not of Shem. And the territory in the Ruhr Valley of Germany was a geographic location where Jophaphat's descendants settled. Well, he's making arguments about who the lineage of the occupying Jewish people in Palestine turned out to be. And he's trying to claim that they had a right to the land by, by virtue of having certain blood that they carried with them in spite of living other places for 1,200 years, I don't know, 2,000 years, I guess 2,000 years or more. So some of these people are making arguments that, that the Israelites, the Jews, have a right to go back after 2,000 years and get their land back because of genealogy, which they have no record of. So how should we approach people who say the European Jews, after 1,950 years, claiming they were returning, and took over the land with guns 
and occupy it now and say that the people who live there must be subject to them in an occupied land. What argument do we make for that that makes sense to Christian people? I don't know. I Actually, it's, it's, it's a tough one. As we found from our vigils, Chuck, we've, all these vigils that we've bought, been on in front of Christian Zionist churches, people do want to argue secular arguments. And so the only thing is to turn back to what Jesus said. Now, of course, if it's a secular argument, you can't really, or if the, the person is an atheist, but generally the atheists are more sympathetic to, uh, in this case, the Palestinians. I can't say that's a general statement, but they have some compassion here. And when we get into religious dogma and reasons, it's very hard to even discuss those other than how would Jesus treat the Palestinians? Are they being treated fairly? Is God a racist? Does he favor Jewish people over anybody else? How many ways are there to heaven? It's through Jesus Christ. It's not through your lineage. And so I don't know. I guess that's the question we, we've been asking, and everybody is different. You might want to relay the story of, uh, you don't have to give the specifics, of, about this church that you're attending where the pastor went to Israel on a free trip. And just that experience there, Chuck, I think it it almost has to be on an individual case by case. Everybody's got a, a specific hot button, and finding those hot buttons is very difficult. And so people have to find that point where there's the great aha and maybe the example of this pastor that you told me about might be it may be an aha moment for him that he's waking up to what the Palestinians are going through that's right Tom and I think this like all all of these stories depend upon finding reasonable people and I, I'm sorry to say that there are some people that cannot be reasonable about this topic because their mind is made up and their mind is and their opinion is set somehow in what they consider to be their faith, which is actually the religion of men that have been taught to them, but they consider it their faith. And uh, we've all had these conditions, these things happen to us where we deal with a loved one or someone and they are totally committed to this uh, faith idea and such as the notion God gave the land to the present-day state of Israel. This is basically the definition of Christian Zionism. It's those that believe that the state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And if that belief is strong enough in someone's mind, you can, you, you can only shake it a little at a time and by being very patient. And as you said, em, employing Jesus' principles always as, a, as, the, as the sort of the fulcrum of your uh, crowbar, the fulcrum of your lever, and, uh, and relying and starting with that and then working upon that. These people who've argued with Stassen and his friend who wrote this article are not reasonable and logical because uh, these men have done a, a very logical job of at least, at very least, pointing out that you cannot use the Bible to determine who owns the present-day state of Israel. It just does not 
mm-hmm. cannot be reasonably added up. We did the same thing in all of our papers where we went back to uh, the Genesis account in Genesis 12, and we pointed out how the people who were trying to make this a land statement, a real estate promise, had lied and cheated to get there. And we simply pointed out to everyone, if the men who are trying to make you believe this lie and cheat, then obviously they're trying to hide something. And the the statement then, uh, based upon bare examination of the words, doesn't support anything about a land grant. And so we very much simplified the the efforts of Stassen and others, and even our uh, our friend uh, Sizer, who is a brilliant theologian and writes wonderful work. And uh, we we basically simplified that down to a to a bumper sticker sort of a approach in order to deal with people. And I think we have to do that, and we have to recognize and not be terribly distressed when our friends throw up totally illogical answers that just make you want to scream or strangle them or something like that, (laughs) which is all the ones we've read here, which are totally illogical and make no sense. An open mind is an absolute necessity to changing somebody in a reasonable time. Case in point, Tom asked me to recite this. I am visiting churches in in my area as I have time to do. I go on a Sunday, sometimes a Wednesday night or something. I try to get to know a few people. And uh, I've, I've been to a number of churches. I visited a Covenant Church, which is a, a division of mainline Christianity. It's not a dispensational church. The seminary that serves this church is usually Fuller Theological Seminary, where, uh, where Mr. Stassen and the other gentlemen our teachers, they generally are pretty reasonable about uh, dispensational ideas. Uh, this particular pastor does not, I can tell, he's not moved by dispensational ideas. He points them out and then he does it with a, a sort of tongue-in-cheek way and lets people know that that's not exactly what he believes. It's obvious when you hear him. Uh, however, the result of meritorious service to the church was given a a month-long sabbatical, a vacation, in other words. And along came a group, a national group, which is a part of a big lodge, a part of a public organization. I won't name any names because we're writing about this. But uh, the organization, somebody knew him, uh, and uh, somebody knew the organizer for this organization, and he came to the church and said, we'd like to do you a favor. We would like to send your pastor to the Holy Land on 11-day vacation, all prepaid, just like our congressmen are always getting these junkets free. And uh, this pastor accepted. He went. And when he got there, he found out that he was put in an Israeli touring company with an Israeli boss and an Israeli guide. The Israeli guide had been a member of infamous Israeli Defense Force, IDF. He had been a longtime veteran of that. He'd even fought in the 1967 war. And for 11 days, he brainwashed the people, taking them to beautiful and wonderful sites in Israel and never one setting one foot in any of the occupied territories, never meeting or talking to a single Arab, except on one day when they switched buses, got on a bus that had a Palestinian license plate with a selected Palestinian guide who said practically nothing, according to this pastor, 
and this bus took them the 30 miles or so through Jerusalem on to the east to Bethlehem. There they got out at a very specific church, went to a couple of very specific sites. Uh, the pastor took many, many beautiful pictures of these uh, lavish places he went to of Jesus' birth, I suppose birth, uh, Jesus, uh, the uh, scenes of nativity and so on. They then were hustled down to a Arab trading post where there was a marketplace and they were allowed to spend a half hour or so in the marketplace buying stuff if they wanted to. And uh, there were hawkers there selling uh, stuff under high pressure. They, he said it was very uh, part of the trip he didn't enjoy. They were then pushed back on the bus. Out they went again back into Israeli territory, back to their five-star hotel. At the end of the 11 days, a various curious uh, incident took place. A man who I know by name and face but have never met personally and who, we've, who I correspond with was invited in to speak to them. He's an Arab Christian. And he, for one hour or maybe an hour and a half, set this busload, 35 pastors from the United States, straight about what the Palestinian life was really all about. And he had one hour out of 11 days, more or less. But it made such an impression on the pastor that he spent some five minutes talking about this tremendous twist of direction that took place in their lecture, and uh, he, uh, he actually was influenced by it. So I was able to actually talk to him and uh, use it as a possibility of, of talking to him and, and actually presented him with a letter from the same individual who he had had as his one-hour Arab tour guide. So today I had an interview with the pastor. Uh, he's watching our video. We don't know what will come out. Why did this happen so easily? Why in one hour was this man able to catch a glimmer of the truth when he'd had 11 days of solid brainwashing? The reason is that he had a, a bit of an open mind. And uh, this comes right back to the people we deal with. We have to question them and find out if they have an open mind and if they do, they will read our 10-minute explanation of why Abraham was not giving land to the present-day Benjamin Netanyahu when God recited his covenant to Abraham 3,500 years ago. If he does not have an open mind, he is going to look you in the eye, his eyes will glaze over, and he will recite either absolute, total, irrational political nonsense like why don't the neighboring Arabs take the three and a half million Palestinians and feed them and take care of them and give them somebody else's land? They have plenty of land. Or, or some equally nonsensical argument about why God was really giving this land to Benjamin Netanyahu and his political cronies 3,500 years ago. Those are the answers we've seen in, in this session today. We've seen all the irrational. We've seen a good effort by good, honest people uh, Stassen and uh, his friend in, at Fuller in Pasadena, California, trying to explain biblically why it can't be so. Their arguments are very good, but of course not good enough to overcome someone who doesn't want to listen. And that's really what this boils down to, Tom and Leslie, in my opinion. Right, and it's uh, the old saying is, none are so blind as those who do not see or will not see are unwilling to see and 
you're right. We've been wrong on a lot of things. And, of course, the willingness is to on somebody that has an open mind is to say, gee, I've been wrong on this. Maybe I need to rethink this issue. But it's it's very difficult. It's amazing the people that would go to Israel, these tours and so forth, that come back with no clue about, they may even go in just like this pastor into the West Bank, but only for a short time, for example, to visit Bethlehem, some of the holy sites, and then be still totally oblivious to what's going on to the plight of the Palestinians. It's it's just amazing. And so they're walking in the footsteps of Jesus and not doing what Jesus did to reach out to the lost. And the our fellow Palestinian Christians are not lost. They just need some help from uh, their fellow Christians. There are organizations that are doing their part to help, but they certainly are a very, very small minority representing just a very tiny people. But there is a, a little bit of a light with people waking up. So thank you very much. Leslie, did you have anything, any comments you'd like to make about our talk here? Just a little bit. Remember John the Baptist said, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what Jesus emphasized was not a physical kingdom, it was a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom where if we believe on him, we will go someday soon. But the emphasis is not on the physical country, it is a spiritual country. Yes. We're so materially oriented here in the West, particularly in the United States, that's all we can think of. I mean, we're sold through advertising. We've been conditioned to accept our wars. It's not patriotic to be against the war. Our past president told us that when we went into Iraq, uh, that we would be un-American if we were opposing the war. So we've been so conditioned Thank goodness there are people, there are a small remnant out there that do question the authority and question you know, what they've been told. And someday these, these irrational people will be standing all by themselves and looking at John Hagee, and he will be looking at them, and they'll be able to count each other. And God is not uh, a God who created chaos. And the land system that's being attempted to be followed by uh, the Israelis and those who are supporting the Israelis, who are primarily the Christian Zionists, is is a system of total, absolute chaos that is indefinable, makes absolutely no sense, and could not ever work anywhere in history, and never has worked anywhere, or even been, as far as I know, ever attempted that anyone ever established who owned the land by what their lineage was, except, of course, the kings and the great colonial empires who were able to establish that they owned everything by divine right. Divine right is yes. what uh, Israel is claiming. Thanks, everybody. That was a, a great, great report. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast, and please visit our website, whtt.org. 
you will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.